Today's reading is from uh, the book of James. It's found on page 1214 in the Bibles in the chairs in front. 1214, starting at chapter 3, verse 1. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep his whole body in check. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Amen. So very good morning again. Um, just to, to let you know, oh, there we are. Uh, Church Magazine, I know that many of us get it through uh, a PDF, uh, through email, but there's hard copies over there. And on the front, we've got Steve, Olivia, and Otto as they were baptized last week at Ladies' Dell. I, many of you will not know that last week, uh, an American TV crew who, who came to Scotland to do an interview with someone over in Grantley, and they, they were coming to church. There was two of them and their chaperone, who was a Scottish guy. And so they came over here, saw that the sign that says our baptisms are over at the lock in an hour's time. And so they joined us. And they asked uh, if they could video. Now, last Sunday, I found just before the service a brutal time. And so I went for a walk. I just had to be away f with the Lord. And as I was walking, I, I said, oh, next year I'm going to remember, or the next time there's a baptism, because as you know, last Sunday was glorious. When there's a, a baptism, I need to have a word with Miranda's brother, Stephen, who's got an unbelievable drone for his business. Uh, he's in the creative arts. And I just thought, I need, to, I need to have a word with Stephen. It was a prayer that I sort of, or a reminder that I said to myself. And then I was just talking to these two Americans who are from a, an American TV show called True News, T-R-U News. Uh, the guy says, do you mind if I can use a drone? And I says, I tell you not a word of lie, this is my prayer 15 minutes ago. And so you'll know that there was uh, a, a wee drone sensitively hovering about and doing lots of things about the baptisms. And I thought that was it was going to be, we were going to get some of the drone footage and we would be able to put it on the website along with our many millions of pictures that were taken last week. But then we got an email, I think it was on Friday, to say, or I think it was Friday, to say that our 
piece of the baptism featured at the very end of True News for that day, uh, or the day before. And and I need to ask you to go and, and look at that if you, you, you want to. We've got on our church website a 12 minute, uh, the 12-minute 12 12 program that True News over in the States uh, featured, and it is the most glorious 12 minutes of a baptismal service I've ever seen in my life. It's now been viewed 8,000 times, which is incredible. It's been shared dozens and dozens and dozens of times. And if you look up True News, you can see their lead into the article or into the feature. And they talk about it for about a minute. And it's quite wonderful. Uh, if you go to True News, they've got lots and lots and lots of different features. There's one called Swamp. Something about a swamp. And there's a woman with mud over her face. If you go to one hour and 11, they start talking about the baptism. And it's it's quite wonderful. But if you can't be bothered doing that, go to the Facebook page and you'll see, uh, especially if you weren't here last week and you're part of our church family, you'll see a 12-minute video of the baptisms last week to, to God's glory. And finally, you'll also find over there a new little cards for one of our Mission Possible partners, Andy and Heather Swanson and the children. And there's new ones over there that will help to encourage us to pray and, and stand in the gap for them. I think that's about it. Shall we pray? And then we shall get stuck into James chapter 3. Father, our desire is that we would hear your voice and live. My desire is that things that are of me would just uh, not penetrate ears, but your voice we would hear in the power of your spirit, for your glory in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. James chapter 3. The tongue is... Can I get the first slide up, Rona? It should just be a blank screen and then I'll go from there. The tongue is quite an amazing... Thank you, Rona. It's quite an amazing uh, part of the body. Do you know we have between two and 10,000 taste buds? Is Doc Sally here? She might know something like that. We've got two and 10,000 taste buds in our mouth. If you have 10,000 plus taste buds, you're classified as a super taster. And if I was you, I would give up my day job and go and eat food, taste food, and get paid for it. <laughs> but if you're like probably most of us and you've got 2,000 or less, taste buds in your mouth. Don't give up your, your day job, but enjoy the food that you can taste. What are the, all the tastes that we can taste in our tongue? I know that's a strange way of putting it, but what are they? Sweet, 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 sweet sour, salty, and? Marmite. Marmite. <laughs> <laughs> who, who, is there not four or is there three? Bitter. Is that right? Bitter. I'm always looking at Sally because she's a doctor and she knows these sorts of things. I don't know what she's a doctor of, fair enough. <laughs> yeah. But there's more to the tongue than just the taste buds. With it, we utter many words. And in the next 25 minutes, I will utter many words. And for the most part, unless I ask, it's just as our custom. We will not utter words. For better or for worse. But with the words, we can accomplish many things. Whether we are a baby or whether we are um, a senior. And we can accomplish tremendous good 
with our words, and the opposite of that is that we can accomplish tremendous evil by our words. And it's that aspect of our tongue that, I'm, that James is focusing in, and I'd like to focus in on this morning. This James chapter 3, 1 to 12, is the, the single most sustained discussion in the New Testament on the topic of the tongue. Proverbs, there are lots of proverbs all over the place, and Christ has got one or two things to say about what we say from our mouth, but this is the, the single most sustained discussion on that thing in our mouth. And actually, much of James' letter to his church is a powerful expose on, on sin and failure that mar our speech. James, as many of you will know, is a pastor. He was martyred. Uh, someone sent me an email, email saying, you keep saying that James is martyred, but it wasn't that James, it was another James. But if you look, traditions say that James, who was the leader of the church in Jerusalem, who was Jesus' half-brother, was in fact martyred uh, for his faith. The church in Jerusalem is going through a difficult time. Uh, they're poor, and we know that because Paul went about gathering money for the church at Jerusalem. And, um, and so that is who James is. But his desire as a pastor is not to teach theory, is not to sit in a lecture room and teach from musty old books and pass down. On you go, me van, go through. There's Ken. Ken will show you better go. Come on, quickly, quickly, quickly. Um, but it's to teach as a pastor. That is, is James' desire, to take what he heard from his Lord and Savior, who was his half-brother, and to encourage his church, which are scattered about the place. So everything we are reading just now is meant to be applicable to a church gathering or a church that is scattered for our everyday walk into maturity. And James is really strong about bringing his flock from immaturity to spiritual maturity. So what we are encountering here is meant to encourage us along that trajectory. It's about our whole being, and even though it's just the tongue, it's about our whole being without reservation so that we can be wholly devoted to Jesus. Go therefore into all the world and... 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 Teaching them to obey everything I have commanded so that we become Christ-like, holy like Him. Doesn't just start and end when we confess and are baptized and filled with the Spirit or speak in tongues or have the ability to bring prophetic words or, or teach or have hospitality, but it continues until we give up our, the final rioch, the final breath of God. Paul said to himself, not that I've, I've, I've arrived, I've attained, but I continue until that time when the Lord calls me to be with him. And this is what the letter is all about, very practical, and it's all about bringing his congregation to spiritual maturity, and it goes through all of the letter. For example, this is week five for us, and here's just a couple of examples of how James has already shown that spiritual maturity develops through suffering. Remember the very beginning of his letter where lots of people stop because it's so difficult, where James says, consider it pure joy, 
My brothers and sisters, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing you of your faith produces perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Spiritual maturity comes through suffering. But how James already has shown that spiritual maturity is enhanced by responding positively to God's word. Again, 20-odd verses after that, which we've just read in chapter 1, James says, Whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in all that they do. So now James goes on to speak about how spiritual maturity is evidenced by how we speak. I loved how Otto gave part of his testimony last week. I remember it because I've watched it a number of times in the video. That's another plug for you to go and check out the video of the baptism last week. But he says how my kids, before I came to faith, um, he says there is no more red code. Code red. There is less um, road rage. And everybody laughed. And then he made an excuse saying, remember, there's lots of tourists in the A9. <laughs> justify, justify. <laughs> but that's it. Spiritual maturity is evidenced by how we speak. Mastering the, the tongue is a mark of maturity. Tongue mastery is the fruit of actually self-mastery. James chapter 1, no, James chapter 3, verses 1 through to 2. Not many of you should presume to be teachers, my brothers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. James chapter 3, verse 1. Why? Why should I, or those who teach in his kids, or those who teach in creche, or those who teach in TIG, why should we be judged more strictly? strictly than others. I think one of the reasons is, is that it's a serious thing. It's a serious matter from teaching to the creche to adults because teaching God's word greatly influences the eternal destiny of someone's life. We can teach all the wrong things like Jehovah Witnesses. Go so far but not far enough. They are non-Trinitarian. They do not believe that Jesus is equal with the Father and the Spirit, created in all sorts of things. By teaching that as the gospel, I would agree with Paul, is no gospel at all. We who are teachers of the, the Word have a calling to know the Word, and not just academically, but to know it in our heart and to struggle with it. It should bruise us. It should produce blood in our lives as we are cut because we fall short. But it is a serious matter to teach the youngest to the whole church. We can either lead someone closer to God or farther away from Him. And that's why not everyone will stand here and preach from God's Word. It's why we take that seriously. So much of our week is, is spent in preparing and in waiting and wrestling and throwing away and, 
and listening to God's Word. But I think that uh, is also applicable to those who go beyond teaching. So go beyond those who are in the crest just now, or his kids, or Tig just now, or myself, because we all have tongues. Each of us, at some point, will give a response to a question in regards to our hope. Each of us will be put on the spot at some point, and with trembling of knees, we will try and articulate something of the treasure which is in our heart, and that is a serious business. We know we are witnesses and we speak often about that with our lives, but it's with the tongue. And I know where I fall short, and I'm sure you also are aware of, of how you feel inadequate or you feel maybe a slight bit of remorse about how you've used your tongue and especially in speaking about the things of the Lord. So, thereby, there but for the grace of God I go. Can I throw that in there? Because I don't want us to think, oh, I'm awful, I'm rubbish, unless you think that's what the Lord is pressing upon you and you need to repent of that and you need to sort something. But James is brutally honest right at the beginning that preaching and teaching is a serious business. Then he goes on uh, to say, we all stumble in many ways. If anyone is ever at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. Audience participation. That means I want you to raise your hands honestly, not looking to the person to the left or to the right or in front of you. How many of us have spoken a word that we wish we could have taken back? Who has, on purpose or even by accident, said something that ended up hurting someone and it's lasted a long time? Therefore, James is correct when he says that if anyone is never at fault in what he says, he's a perfect man able to keep his whole body in check. James is correct. But he's not a guy who's saying, but look at me, I have arrived. I think he's surely conscious of his own shortcomings. Because he says, we, we all stumble in many ways. We, plural, inclusive, we all stumble in many ways. Even as James is the pastor of the scattered church, of the first church in Jerusalem, he says, I, I struggle as much as you. I'm not perfect. I'm not two foot closer to God. Maybe he remembered how he misspoke about Jesus. When was that? Well, when Jesus was involved in ministry, his family, and James would have been included in that, his family came and says this, he is out of his mind. Could, was maybe James aware of that, just as Paul was aware of how he was a persecutor of the church and it kept him humble, saying that I'm the least of the apostles? Was James the great pastor of, of a letter and, and of churches, but a letter that's very practical, saying, guys, we are all in the same boat. I'm not, meant to, I'm not here to condemn, but to speak truth, and I'll let the Spirit do the convicting of what you must do. And was this the reason why it's written in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus visited his half-brother after the resurrection? 
So how does our tongue provide evidence where we are spiritually? Well, if you go to a doctor uh, with a sore throat and the doctor says, stick out your tongue and say, ah. And in that short space of time, Doc Kennedy, I'm sure you're looking for these things. And if not, then I found this out in Google Doctor. <laughs> if it's red, it indicates that you may have allergies or infections. If your tongue is smoother than normal, it may indicate you're lacking in essential nutrients such as iron, folic acid, or B12. If you've got a fat tongue, fatter than normal, it may indicate sleep apnea. If your tongue is blistered, you may not be producing enough saliva in your mouth. And if your tongue is a nice pink shade, it may be an indication that you are healthy. But please don't take my word for it. If you've got a sore throat, please see Doc Kennedy at the end. Or, <laughs> I'm kidding. He's not, no, he's off today, he's off today. Um, but our speech, the tongue produces speech, is a window to our heart. Sp speech is a window to our heart. And James is honest enough to confess that no one except Jesus, his Lord and Savior, his half-brother, has mastered the tongue. Furthermore, we know as we get older that our bodies are deteriorating. There's things that we used to be able to do that we can't do. Although yesterday I watched a YouTube clip where a guy who was 89 was bench pressing and a ridiculous amount of weights. But most of us deteriorate and we can't do the things that we used to. And our only hope is that Jesus will do something in our lives. Now, we accept physical deterioration, but there's something about this tongue that we can master. It can get better as our heart gets better. It can be more Christ-like as our heart and our mind gets better. It can inspire as our heart and mind and our lives reflect more of God's will as we open up to the Spirit. But we know that's a long-running thing. You know, it's a marathon that's not a sprint. It's where we uptake that responsibility over how we speak hourly, daily, monthly, yearly. Francis Francis, Francis Frangipani, who's a very, um, I think, Pentecostal charismatic author, and it's years ago since I read this book, and I've always remembered it, and I don't know if it's good theology, but it's good illustration. And he speaks of how in Job where the devil is pictures as appearing before God and accusing before God. And he, he kind of uh, explores that and says, how can the devil appear before God? Because we know that Jesus sits at the right-hand side and he is our advocate. And through him, we are in the presence, we being the temple of the Holy Spirit. Somehow, when we feel it most when we worship or if we're in a, a quiet place or if we're open God's word and the Spirit speak to us, we feel as if we're in the very courtrooms of, of the Lord. And Francis Francis Panny goes on to say, maybe the accusations that the devil speaks to the Lord about us, he hears from us because we have the ability to go before the Lord. And I know, it's, I'm not sure about the theology, but it's, it's a good illustration. We all too often speak callously about one another. We are spouses, we like a good moan but it's an accusation more often than not against our brothers and sisters. We may be wronged and we want to articulate it. You know that feeling when you're having a good conversation and it's a good gossip and the other person's on the same wavelength. Somehow it feels good. Somehow it feels justified. 
but somehow it's a tool for the enemy, and somehow it's a weapon that destroys. So there's a call to us with much repentance to acknowledge that there's no one like Christ and be open for him, even though our bodies are deteriorating, to bring something wonderful from our tongue, from our heart, from our spirits, from our lives. When we put bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. The tongue is small, but it's powerful. Powerful for good and evil, and it's out of proportion, it's influence to its size. A small bit in a horse's mouth controls the direction of that powerful animal. A small rudder in a large ship, even though there are other forces trying to steer and guide to winds and storms and all sorts of things, but that rudder, which is small in proportion to the great size of that ship, can guide that ship through storms, through even other influences. You punch someone in the eye, and they may have a black eye, for a week, depending on how well they bruise. But if you curse someone by using words, you can damage their life for years or a lifetime. So powerful is this little thing in our mouths which is attached to our heart, which is attached to our mind and our whole lives. It can, it can cause so much damage. And I think the point which... James is bringing out here when he brings these two images is this. There is extraordinary power and influences concentrated in this small part of our bodies. And then he goes on to say, consider what a great forest fire, that a great forest fire is set on, I'll read that again. Consider that a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue also is a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole person, sets the whole course of his life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Going to read more. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles, and creatures of the sea are set, are being tamed, and are being tamed by man. But no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. So the tongue is a fire. James says, the tongue is a world of evil. And I know this is getting heavy and intense, but stay with us here because this is God's word, so we have to, we have to wrestle with it. We've heard a lot about the Amazon in the last few days. The Amazon has been started by small individual fires. It's getting the attention of the world for whatever reason at this point, maybe because of the G7 summit. And even our children are talking about the Amazon forest fires. Those fires which started with a spark have got the potential of affecting our lives for a generation or maybe even more. So it is with the tongue. A sharp word, a loose sentence can cause a blaze that maybe cannot be extinguished. Words can 
destroy, words can consume a life. And James is specific about the energy source of that. It is set on fire by hell, he says. And hell, as I've written up there, is the word Gehenna. That is a valley in the south part of Jerusalem. And that is where the rubbish was dumped and burnt. And there was a physical place where criminals who had been crucified or stoned to death, they were not buried, they were placed there and burnt. So if it wasn't for Joseph of Arimathea, that would have been potentially the resting place of Jesus. But God had other things. Because that word Gehenna um, had more than just physical uh, connotations, but it has spiritual connotations, uh, the eternal consequences, uh, that word. And we can see that developing in the New Testament, where it is the pit, the place of, of destruction that smolders, it is hell. And James likens the tongue as coming from it. It is set on fire, he says, by hell. But also he goes on to say um, that the tongue is a restless evil. It's full of deadly poison. It's like the untamed tongue roams the wilds. It roams about. It's quick to defend itself, to justify itself. It's quick to attack. Many of you and myself have been the receiving end of someone who's quick with their tongue. And it's sharp and, and uh, especially if you're trying to speak about Jesus, boy, accusations all over the place. And it's meant to stop us. And it's meant to uh, halt us in our tracks. And it's meant to silence us and give us no voice, especially in the marketplace where we want to exchange stories and the story of the good news. And it mimics Satan. Satan who has rebelled against God and who has been cast out. Satan who knows no peace. Satan who roams looking as a lion, looking for anyone that he can devour. The untamed tongue shares that tendency. It is an inbuilt need to guard its own territory, to defend itself, to hit out, and to look after number one, to destroy anyone who comes and challenges that to be the king of the beasts. That is the untamed tongue. The tongue is a restless evil. It is full of deadly poison. And then James goes on to say, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, and with it we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. How, can, how uh, can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers, a fig tree bears olives. Can a fig tree bear olives? Or a great vine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Um, my dad was into... Cowboy and Indian paperbacks. He would devour a paper, he worked night shift, and it was as if he could read a paperback, Cowboy and Indian paperback overnight. I would read one or two, look for the pictures mostly. 
but there was a phrase that you even see or you, you heard in some of the Hollywood movies. And it was a phrase that was used when there was a peace treaty being made between the white man and the Indian, the Native American, the indigenous people, whatever you would call them now. And they would say, white man speaks with forked tongue. White man speaks with forked tongue. And a forked tongue is connected to a forked heart. James, right at the beginning, challenges his flock by saying, such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. A forked heart, a divided heart. And we know that the Lord is after our heart fully. He will not stop pursuing us until he has all of our, all of my heart, all of my soul, all of my mind, all of my strength. With everything within me, I want to praise you, Lord. I want to love you with all of my heart and bring joy to your heart. Let me bring joy to your heart, all of my soul. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. And this isn't just weakness. It is a damnable contradiction to our very being because we have been bought at a very great price. And it's more contradictory than a fig tree bearing olives, grapevine producing figs, salt pond yielding fresh water, it's more contradictory actually than anything else we find in nature. And I think James here is trying to draw blood. I think he's trying to bruise. I think he's trying to be as direct as he possibly can. And I don't know what was going through the life of that church at that point. But James was desperate for them to walk into spiritual maturity. And that was stumbling and it was connected to that, and it was connected to that, and it was connected to all of this. If we're obsessed with our own prosperity, if we're obsessed with our own status, then words will flow out of our mouths that reflect our black heart. And if our hearts strongly desire to speak words that affirm God's value and words of encouragement, then that's what will most likely flow out of our mouths. And then James stops there. And it is, there is, I mean, he goes on and he talks about two times of wisdom. But in terms of that, that part where he speaks about the tongue, he stops. So what? Where's the application? Do we all just go home and we have tails between our legs? No, because he has written a letter. And I don't know if you write letters or you email. I'm sure some young people are saying, a letter? Is that snow mail? No, no, no. Letters flow, even going back to something that's been said at the beginning, and it's the same with James's letter. He's spoken many times, and I'm going to put up a list here. I'm not going to go through them all because I do want to finish. But he has already given the application because it's an incredibly practical book, maybe the New Testament book of the Proverbs. He doesn't leave us in guilt he wants to give practical counsel. Remember, and, and I've, I've said it right at the beginning, in James chapter 1, verse 25, he calls us to do this. 
look intently into the perfect law that brings freedom. The royal law, the whole law, is what he describes this in chapter 2 and chapter 1. Look into this that brings freedom. And his letter is included in that. And here's just some of the things, and I'm going to send this out to home group leaders, but these are just some of the things that he gives as practical counsel application to all of us, because all of us have got a tongue. And it's these. I'll just leave that for a second for you to look at. Ask God for wisdom to speak. Put a guard over your mouth. Never crush someone with words that demean, despise, or cause despair. Can we do that? Yes. And that's, that's what he said before this part of his letter. Here's what he says afterwards. <laughs> Resist quarrelsome words as marks of a polluted heart. If you're always quarreling with your brother and sister, there's something wrong with your heart. Maybe something wrong with theirs, but something wrong with yours. Never speak evil of another because the evil one is doing that already. Confess to one another when we fail. That'll help us master the tongue. How's about that right at the end? Speak words of restoration to one another. What does restoration mean? Build up. Build up one another, build up sister and your brother, build up one another, build, build up. Kid song that stuck in my head. That's good advice. Comes from the book of James. So when we take one step back from James 3, 1 to 12, we read it in the, and read it in the context of the entire letter. We, we, we actually discover that James' analysis is surrounded by the most practical counsel imaginable to enable us to master the tongue. So look intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continue in it, not forgetting what we have heard, but do well from that we will be blessed in everything we do. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit.